Alright, well let's jump into where we're at. Is that alright? I've been really enjoying this series. Have you enjoyed this series? You know, the Bible says that there is a life that God has called each one of us to live. And it's a life of more than just being saved. It's a life of abundant and a life of joy and spirit-filled and power-filled. And, you know, not a life of defeat, but a life of more than conquering. More than, not just making it and getting through, but a life of advancement and an adventure and a challenge that God has called you to an adventure. Problem is, most people don't ever experience the Christian walk this way. Most people get saved, and then that's as far as they go. But there is more to this life than just being saved. There's, aren't you glad there's more to the Christian walk than just going to church and going to heaven? Amen. <laughs> I'm glad it's more than a religious thing that I do here, but it's also a victorious level of living that I get to live in. But the truth is this. The devil does not want you to live that life. He is, he is bound, bent, and determined to make sure that you have to fight for every square inch. The Bible says this. When the children of Israel came into the promised land, it says that it was full of giants. Now, why would God give somebody something if it's full of opposition and enemies and giants and devils. Because God didn't raise no wimpy church. He called the church to be victorious. And He's called you to live life victorious. Think about it, but the devil don't like to give up a square inch. You know, the Bible says it was the Spirit of the Lord that led Jesus into the wilderness where there was a devil in it. You were called into this world, into the kingdom of God, but there is a devil present in this world. And the good news is this, he's already defeated. But if you don't decide in your life that he is, man, he's not going to give up a square inch of your life. You can be saved and go into heaven and still be depressed. You can be saved and go into heaven and still be sick. You can be um, still be saved and go into heaven and get divorced. You can be saved and be under bondage and depressed and, you know, under fear and anxiety because just because you get saved and you get your ticket to heaven doesn't mean you walk into this new life. So as a church, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Amen? I'm ready to walk into what the Bible calls the fullness that God has for us. This full life. Well, to do that, God has a concept for us called kairos is what we're teaching on. And what it is, it's a life full of moments that change every moment. It's a life of of steps and achievements and goals we go after that change everyone from that point on. And my life is to get better and better every day I get up. And the way that is to take place is that I begin to reverse the plans of the enemy on my behalf. Amen? I reverse it because from the day I was on this planet, the devil has been fighting trying to keep me from obtaining this life that God wants me to have. You too. From the day you were born, He has set up things and been after you and, and attacking you and fighting you. But when you got saved, we begin to reverse what the enemy has set out to destroy you with. And that actual, the best terminology for that reversion is called 
moving into freedom. Amen? Aren't you ready to be free? Wouldn't you love to be free from the old you? Wouldn't you love to be free from the negative and the tormenting thoughts? Wouldn't you love to be free from sickness and disease? Wouldn't you? The good news is this. You can be. You can be. Now, just because you're saved don't mean you will be. But if you will decide that, you know what, I understand that God has a spirit-filled life for me, then you start moving toward being free. You can be free. And so we're in a series called Kairos, Moments That Change Every Moment. Or another one is God stepping out of eternity into your now and changing from here on out. And there are four steps to Kairos moments. Number one is you having an encounter with God because this can't be done without Him. He can't, I mean, you can't deliver yourself. You can't move into what God has for you without God. A lot of times we want God's will our way. Don't work that way. We have to have an encounter with God. I wish I could heal you, but I can't. I wish I could deliver you, but I can't. I wish I could set you free, but I can't. But God can. He is the answer. He is the source. And so we're on this progression of encountering God. And the first step that takes place in encountering God is, a, is an event called deliverance. Deliverance is you having the shackles and the bondages broken off of your life that the enemy has put on you every opportunity that he had and was given a square inch. All right, we're coming out of the book of Mark chapter 5, and for sake of time, I'm not going to read the whole story again. You can go back and listen to a couple of the last, or read this story on your own, but the story picks up where Jesus was willing to sail across an entire lake and go through an amazing storm just to get to the boy that was demonically possessed. Now, this brings up the question, if I'm saved, can demonic, demon Devils and spirits affect and possess my life. And the truth that we studied it last week, we went through it. And the answer is yes. You can be saved and be under the bondage. Or when we say the word possess, people are like, what? I don't believe in that. Well, the word in the New Testament has the word possession two ways. One is ownership. No, we don't. When you got saved, the devil does not no longer own you. But the truth is, he can still have mastery over areas of your life. That word uh, possession means to be under the influence or be to, to be mastered over. And so we studied last week out of Matthew where it says that the Jewish Jews that believed in Jesus, and Jesus said that if you abide in me, you are truly my disciple indeed. So they were Jews, God-chosen people. They believed in Jesus. They were saved. And not only that, they were disciples of Jesus and Jesus said, though, but you need to be set free. And they were like, I don't need to be set free. We've never been under bondage. Well, that was proof right there. Most people that don't believe they could be under bondage are under bondage. They were, they were being deceived. Because from the very beginning of the Old Testament, the Jews have been in bondage. Said so we've never been in bondage. Well, they were in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage by the Babylonian Empire, the Egyptians, the Assyrians. I mean, almost the entire Old Testament was when they were in bondage. And God delivered them and set them free. And so there, even in the New Testament, the children of Israel were under bondage, under rule 
of the Roman Empire when they even made that statement. And if you don't think that the devil can put you under bondage, then you're as deceived as those guys are because the devil will do anything and everything to keep you from living the life that God destined you to be. And so we talked about how the devil does come in and put Christians, believers, into bondage. And one of the ways the Bible says in Jude chapter 2 verse 9, it says, or Joel chapter 2 verse 9, it says, they walk on the walls, they run through the cities, they enter through doors and come into windows. We can open doors and windows into our lives for demonic spirits to have access into your life. You know, I learned the other day when I was at Walmart, I was stopped at Walmart in Mobile, and I've got a bad habit of getting out of my truck and not locking the doors and just going in. And so it was good. It was about probably 10 o'clock on a Sunday night. I stopped there. I was running. I needed to get the girls' lunchables for school the next morning because we didn't have any at home. So I parked the truck in the parking lot, just ran in, got the lunchables, was coming out. And when I came out, there was a guy standing right by the door of my truck. And he, you could tell it was shady. So I was walking. As I got closer, he started noticing me coming closer to that truck. I was like, man, can I help you? And he took off running. And my computer was in there. The church uh, things were in there. If he would have opened that door, and that's what he was doing. So I backed my truck up and set it back in the back parking lot and waited. And there he goes. He was working his way through the parking lot, pulling door handles. You know, he was looking for one that he could get access into. And thank God I was there with it because I would have lost my computer. I would have lost all kind of stuff out of my truck. I came out right before the devil, uh, right before he <laughs> had grabbed hold to my door handle because I did not lock it. And it was a stark warning for me now. I try to lock my door every time I get out of it now because I never know what thief is going to sit outside my truck in what parking lot and try to get in. The truth is this. The devil, the Bible calls him a thief. It says he goes around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Meaning that he has permission. Access is granted. And Doors that we leave open in our lives gives the enemy access, permission to come in through our, in those doors. And when they come in, I want you to know something. They're not there for any good. We talked about the purposes and the hearts and the plans of the devils, of demons and demonic spirits. And the truth is this, we, it's best story you can see them in is in Mark chapter 5, when Jesus got and went all through all that to get to the demoniac boy, the boy ran up and worshipped Jesus. And so I believe that, you know, you say, well, cricket, I don't believe Christians can be, because that guy recognized Jesus and worshipped Jesus, but yet still had demons in his life. And it said this, it says that they would bind him with chains, and he would break free, and they would bind him often, and he would break free. I tell you, that's kind of a story, it seems like, in my life. How many times since I've gotten saved, man, I would get free from something, turn right around without even thinking about it, two or three weeks later be bound by the same thing again, needing to get free from again, and struggling, struggling, and boom, getting a service, and like God moves, I get free, and then, you know, I stay free a little bit, and then go back out, and man, I find myself doing the same thing again. How many of you guys have been there before? It's like you've been struggling and getting bound by the same thing. Oh, I want you to know something. That is the plan of the enemy. Keep you bound by chains. And no matter how hard you struggle, you may get moments of freedom, but the plan is to put you back in their mind. That's what the enemy does. 
And then the Bible says that Jesus cast the demons out. The demons went into the pig, and the pigs ran themselves off the cliff, or ran them down the steep bank, it says, into the water, and they were drowned. Me and my dad were having this conversation a couple weeks ago. I said, Dad, it's weird. Jesus cast lots of demons out in the Bible, and he never sent them into donkeys or birds. Or it was this. I said, I truly feel like the Lord told me that he let the people of that city see the demons kill those pigs because Jesus wanted people to know what a demonic spirit left in your life will eventually do. The Bible says he comes but to steal, to kill, and destroy. This is nothing to play with. And so shutting the door of demonic spirits in your life is of utmost importance. And so we talked about are some of the signs that there are doors open into your life. One of the signs that there is a demonic influence or, or bondage in your life is if there is a continual sin in your life that you can't seem to get free from. You, you will, you know, come up, break free from it for a little bit, but before you know it, you're back in chains, doing that same very thing again, not wanting to do it, wanting to be free, but can't seem to shake it, can't seem to get free from it. That's a sign that there's a door of a demonic spirit into your life. It's not you. You're not that weak. There's a, there's a force fighting against you. And you've given it access somewhere to come in. Another sign is continual sickness. If someone is constantly going from illness to illness to illness, the Bible says there is a spirit of infirmity. If you are, if it, like, it seems like as soon as you start getting this one area of health under control, and then another one pops up, and you're, you're always, your life has become trying to manage illness, I want you to know that's a sign that there could be an open door for the demonic in your life, and it's the spirit of infirmity. Alright? If there, uh, you can, Tell those, they say, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. A sign of a doorway open into your life for demonic spirit is the people and the places that you continually expose yourself to. If you're running around with the pack of dogs, chances are you got fleas. If you're running around with people that have demonic doors open into their life, that's a sign that there is demonic influence at work in your life. It matters who you associate with. Spirits can jump. You say, what do you mean? Well, the Holy Spirit and Mary jumped out of Mary into Elizabeth just by her coming to visit her. You've got to be careful with who you... The Bible says bad companions corrupt good manners. I tell you, open doors into your, into your life. All right, another open door is... You exposing yourself to the supernatural. Seances, Ouija boards. I want you to know something. This stuff ain't nothing you can play with. Fortune telling. Um, I want you to, you open your book. If you get the paper out every day and you flip to the, um, um, the astrologer, the, you reading your sign, trying to get natural or, or uh, looking for your future in natural things and events, well, yeah, you're opening yourself up. You're opening a door for demonic spirits to come in and affect your life. There are certain things you just don't play with. You know, they, i got to be honest with you. I don't care if it's a green snake, a snake with two stripes down his back, and you tell me it's not poison. I don't play with snakes. 
because they don't. I was. They're not made for me. You know what I'm saying? So there's certain things I don't mess with, and snakes is one of them. I mean, there's certain things you can't play with. I want you to go another step further. There's certain things you should not watch. Certain books your kids should not read. You know, there there are certain toys your kids should not play with. Because they're... I got, I'm, can I just step on people's toes real good this morning? Any book that teaches your kid to recite a spell or a, a, a potion or any of that, wants you to know something, that's not fairy tale. That is not fairy tale. And like my girls, they're, they're in um, AR classes at school, and they told them they get 23 points if they read Harry Potter. I said, we'll fail. <laughs> said, we'll fail that. And why do you get for reading the Bible, girls? I said, let's go for that one. Because, man, they don't need to read and cantant or uh, say spell. I'm going to tell you, there are certain things you can't do if you do not want a demonic influence at work in your life. And so you can, I can tell if you, if I, if uh, you got a bookshelf full of stuff like that, if your, your favorite movies are dealing with that kind of stuff, there's an open door in your life. And you say cricket are open door sin. No, they're just opportunities for demonic spirits to do to you and your family and your marriage and your business and your finances the same thing he did to those pigs. And so we're in a a series here about Kairos moments. We're at the point of this series on the deliverance side of shutting the doors to the demonic spirits in our lives. Shutting the door. To let to to what the enemy could come in. I mean, I'm telling you, now it went. Now for somebody to get in my truck from that one experience, somebody had to bust the window because I don't leave it unlocked anymore. I'm my own spiritual life. I've had things stolen, taken. I have been in bondage and been attacked and fought through so many areas in my life. I've just decided I'm going to shut and lock every door I can in my life going forward because there's just some things that aren't worth me losing. There's certain things. I'm not going to lose my marriage. I'm not going to lose my kids. I'm not going to lose my ministry. I'm not going to lose my whole. I'm not going to lose my rights because I'm going to shut these doors. And so we're in the part of this series about shutting the door to the enemy. Now, in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, the Bible gives us three doors that the demonic spirit tries to use to open or tries to, if we allow these to be open, they become access for demonic oppression, whatever you want to call it, bondage or possession, mastery over in your life. And it says this, for all that is in the world, all right, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the father, but is of the world. These are doors that we, if we open up into this world, things of God don't come in them. It's the demonic spirits that are there that come in. Alright? So last week, we started and we dealt with the number one way that demonic spirits take out believers was the same number one sin that was committed of all history was the sin of pride. Satan, the first sin committed in history was the sin of pride. And we talked about last week how once the devil did that, it's opened us all up to that. And the truth is, if you don't think you have pride, you need to listen. I remember years ago when I was 
living in New Orleans and I was working for a ministry and I was traveling to Houston for an event. I got in my car, I had this long drive, and I had the CD set that from Joyce Myers called Battlefield of the Mind. And so I was kicking the CDs in and enjoying listening and got to number six. And I went to put it in, put it in, and when I put it in, she said this. She said, this session is going to be on pride. And I went to hit eject. And she goes, and if you're about to eject this CD, you're the one that needs to hear it. And so I just went down into conviction. You know what I'm saying? So, and I, I mean, tears were pouring down my face by the time that was over. Because the truth was this. If, if you're so proud that you don't have pride, you need to shut this door. Pride can influence or affect any of us. This is what pride says and what the voice of pride is that opens doors in your life. Number one, you trust in your own strength. You're strong enough to handle it. You can do it on your own. You know what I'm saying? You can, you're, you've, been, you've been doing it long enough. You're a strong enough believer. You can handle certain things. That's the voice and the spirit of pride opens the door. Trust in your own righteousness. When you trust in your own righteousness, it gives the enemy permission To come against you. We went through the book of Job and talked about why did God allow the spirit and the devil to come against Job the way he did? There's no other answer in the book of Job until you get to chapter 32 in the spirit of self-righteousness. Job was so proud that he had lived and served the Lord for so long. And the sad thing about it was this. God was proud of him too. Because at the beginning of Job, God said... Did you notice my servant, Job? We can, we can allow the way we have served the Lord, the what we do do and what we don't do, how long we've been going to it, how much Bible we know, to become an access point for the devil. When we allow it to become our own righteousness, the Bible says, is as filthy rags, it, our own righteousness. You know, I, I, I can't do that because I've, you know, I've been an elder in the church. I've been in the prayer time. Then it opens the door and gives demonic spirits permission. The only reason why we have a right to stand before God is because Jesus became our righteousness. None of us were worthy. I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. If it wasn't for the blood of Jesus, you would still be a sinner just playing church. And so, trusting in your own righteousness. And then number three was looking at the spirit of pride through trusting in your own wisdom. When you're smart enough to handle it on your own is a spirit of pride. When it's your way and no way, or when you think you finally know all the answers, it's the spirit of pride. So that's where we were last week. We dealt with that door, shutting the door of the pride of life. Today we're going to deal with shutting the door of the lust of the eyes. And next week... Um, we're going to shut the door of um, the lust. I'm sorry, the next week we're dealing with, uh, we're, today we're doing lust of the eyes, and next week we're going to do the lust of the flesh, okay? And moving into it, I was going to try to do both of these into the same service, but I've, I've realized I come sometimes over-prepared and I hold you all too long, so I'm trying to work on that. So I'm going to get you out of here by three today. So we're just going to deal one, all right? The lust of the eyes is a door that the enemy tries to open in your life so that he can come in and keep you from being blessed the way that God wants you to be blessed. The way, number one way the lust of the eyes, the enemy uses that, is in the area of greed. When we allow greed to enter into our life, 
It opens a door or a window. It cracks a space in your life for the devil to come in. And he never comes in to have dinner. He comes in to wreak havoc. And when we allow this door open, I'm telling you, it's a matter of time. Everybody say, a matter of time. Another way to say it is, it's just the process of time. When you allow the door to stay open in this area, it's a matter or a process of time before what the enemy has truly meant to do in your life is full-blown. The Bible says when sin is full-blown, it results in death. So, we're going to jump right into it. Greed is some, when you allow the enemy to let you think that something else has the ability to make you happy. That is greed. And the enemy comes against people with the lust of the eyes first in that way. If we go to Genesis chapter 3, we see pride was the first sin committed in the Bible in history by the devil. The lust of the eyes, greed, was the first sin created in history by man. It's the first tactic or tool the devil used to get man to fall. And we'll go back to Genesis chapter 3 to see this. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree in the garden? Now, understand what the enemy's starting to do right here. First thing the enemy tries to do when he comes in through this door, or tries to get you to open this door, is he tries to get you, one, to question whether or not God really said what he said, or if he really meant what he meant, or if it's still relevant for what Jesus or God said when he said it to now. If the devil can get you to question what God said, you're headed down a road to opening a door or a window for demonic spirit. Said this, he said, you shall not eat. Did, did, did God really say you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Do you know God did not say that? As a matter of fact, if you go back and read it, we won't for the sake of time. God didn't say you can't eat of every gar- tree of the garden. This is what he said. He said, if you read it, it says, you are free to eat of any tree of the garden. That's what it says. But if you eat of this tree, it says it will cause death. He said, you were free to do it. I want you to know something. When you're saved, you're free. Then we are allowed to make choices. And the choices we make will determine whether or not we open a spirit for, open the door for a demonic spirit to come into our lives, wreak havoc, and eventually in, result in death. And so he said, the guard, so the first thing the devil does in this area of lust of the eyes, he tries to get you to question what God said, doubt whether or not God meant it, whether or not he said it, or whether or not it's relevant. Then it says, and the woman said to the serpent, we may eat, uh, eat the fruit of the trees, trees in the, of the garden. See, she, she made the right statement. Yeah, we are free to eat of the trees in the garden. That's what God told her. Then he said this. He says, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, check this out. First, the enemy got them to doubt or question what God said. Then he comes in with a direct lie saying, God really is holding out on you. 
Saying God didn't say that. What God really's doing is say trying to keep you from being like Him. Do you know what the truth was? Adam and Eve were more like God before they bit the apple than they were ever like God after. This is the truth. God does not know good and evil. God only knows good. And when they bit the apple and learned what good and evil was, they became separated from God. They were like God before God made them in His image. They were like God. When they chose to do or believe that God was holding out on them or that God, you know, uh, what God had said, He really didn't mean and they acted on it, they became unlike God and they became more like the devil than they'd ever been in history. You need to understand something. When the, when the devil makes you doubt and then he directly lies and you believe that lie and you act upon that lie, you become more like Satan than you are like God. When you believe what the Word of God says and you act on what the Word of God says, you're more like God than you've ever been like God. All right? So here's what it says. It says, So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was... Underline, if you want to, pleasant to the eyes. We're talking about the lust of the eyes. When she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband and he ate. The devil will always first get you to doubt. Then he will come in and lie. And if you believe those lies, the next thing you're going to do is he will show you something and make you think that it's pleasant to the eyes. He will cause your eyes to begin to desire to have it. And the way He does that is gets you to begin to believe that God is holding out on you. God is an unfair and just God. He don't want just good for you. He wants to control you or keep you from having things that God, want, that God has Himself that He don't want to give you. But the truth is this. In Genesis 2.9, let's go back and read about all the other trees. Because see, it says she saw that tree and the devil made her think that that tree was pleasant to the eyes. Look at this. In verse 2, 9 it says, And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the what? To the sight. There wasn't only one tree pleasant to the eyes, but all the trees that God said you can take were pleasant to the eyes. But see, the enemy always wants you, you can tell it's the lust of the eyes coming in, trying to come in through that door. He will make you only focus in on or only see what he wants you to see. Then he will convince you that God is holding out on you. God doesn't want you to have what God has. He doesn't want you to get. You know, it's, and the trick is this, the lie is this, that something else besides what God said will make you happy will make you happy. If God, if the devil can convince you that you need something else to be happy, then he's coming against you in the lust of the eyes. She thought God was holding out on her. And why would God say that if he wasn't mean? Let me tell you why God said that. Because God always in our lives brings us to a place where he tests us. God is a testing God. And the reason why God tests us is this reason. Because God wants to bless us. What happens when you pass a test? You're always blessed. When you, I tell you, at my house, if the girls come home with a hundred, I give them money every single time. I want them to understand. When they pass a test, they get blessed. So in their future, going now they come home with the C, 
They get a talking to. They get told they can do better. But they don't get nothing from me. They will get another chance when they go back in for their next test to get a bless. But if they don't do it, they don't get blessed. This is the way God works. He talks about it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. That God tests us for the purpose of being able to bless us. When we choose to believe God, when we choose to see what He has said and believe what He said is the truth, when we choose to obey what God says and how He says it, then God at that point can release blessings into your life. God gave us the choice all the way through the Scripture. Joshua said, choose you to this day, life or death. In the garden, there wasn't just one tree. There were all the trees were pleasant to the eyes, but then God actually pointed out two trees. He said, there's the tree of life, then there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat this one. Have all of this one you want. He really said, choose life or death. But when they chose to take of the one that the devil was wanting them to take part of, then they received what the devil had for them. And they miss out on the life that God was planning for them to live out on. Now, the thing about it is this. You think, well, Cricket, I don't know where the devil's doing that to me in my life. Can I bring out the, the first and the easiest way for me to identify the lust of the flesh in my life that opens doors to the demonic spirits and the demonic um, bondages that the enemy's trying to send in through this door of lust of the eyes? And it's real simple. It's called the word tithe. If you're new to church, you may not understand what that church word means. But that church word means is what everything God gives us, everything. He blesses us. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. God gives us all the good things that we have in our life. And God gives it to his children, the Bible says, because he loves his children. But then God steps back. And he says, you know what? I love my children so much that I gave them all this stuff. But that's not all I want to give them. I've come to give life and life more abundantly. And so he says this. He says, well, I'm going to put some tests up in their life. And when they pass these tests, it gives me the authority, the permission, and the, uh, the way to be able to bless them more. So when we are obedient in the testing of tithe, and we take all that we have and we take 10%. The word tithe simply means 10. And what the Bible says is that of all that you have, the first fruits or the first thing that you have is the tithe. And that when we bring 10, the 10, the, uh, 10% the first 10% of everything that God has given us to the Lord, then God can in return bless us. The number 10 all the way through the Bible represents this. See, the first open sin that mankind created was this. They took what belonged to God. When we take what belongs to God, we open a door for demonic spirits to come into our life. And so, in this, it says, why does God do that? He does it. God tests us so He can bless us. The word tithe through the Bible means tenth. All the way through the Bible, the number ten represents a test. Every time you see the number ten in the Bible, it was God testing so He could bless. But when you fail a test, you don't get a bless, alright? When you fail a test, He will in your future give you an opportunity to uh, pass the test again. But So just showing you how the number ten means test is, if you go back to the 
plagues, how many plagues come against Israel? Ten. Why does the Bible say they came against Israel? Because they were testing the heart of Pharaoh. Ten plagues tested the heart of Pharaoh. How many commandments did he give the children of Israel? Ten. So that it could test the children of Israel whether they were going to serve God or they were going to serve themselves and the devil. Ten commandments were ten tests. All right, now you may not know these, but how many tests in the wilderness did God give the children of Israel? He gave them ten. How many times, um, how many times did Jacob's wage change before he became uh, Israel? Ten. Ten times. All right, how many days of testing was there for Daniel? Y'all should catch on by now, okay? Right. How many days of testing are mentioned in Revelations? How many virgins did Jesus say would be tested? How many disciples did Jesus have? Hey! Got 12. I heard the first time I heard somebody do that to me, I said, 10. And then it was just a test. All right, so here we go. 10, the tithe means 10. And what God is saying with the tithe is this. Will you trust me? Will you thank me? Will you believe me? Will you honor me? And will I be able to bless you? And so in the Bible, the God always gives people a choice. Because if you weren't given a choice, you would be a robot. The angels in heaven don't, aren't given the choice of life or death. They're giving the commandment. You and I are called free moral agents. God gives us a choice. Whether we want life or we, and when we choose God's way and to believe and do things God's way, we are allowed to be given a blessing. The tithe represents the first fruits in the Bible. Let me pull it up in Exodus 13. It says this. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate me to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, it says, Both men and beasts, it is mine. God said, This is mine. I don't want you to give it to me. I don't want you to, you know, want me to have it. He makes a declaration. The first fruits and the firstborn in our life is His. You have to understand that. Exodus 23 says this. The first fruits of your land shall bring forth, shall you bring into the house of the Lord, your God. And you shall not boil the young goat in mother's milk. So it says, but it says here, it says that the first fruits of your land shall be brought to the house of God. Let me break down some misconceptions of tithe. Tithes are to be brought to the house of God. Tithes are not to be sent to the mission field. Tithes are not to be given to television evangelists. Your tithe is to be brought to the house of God. And we'll break these things down because you say, Cricket, why are you preaching this this way? Because you need to understand that if you aren't obedient in the areas that can open up doors for demonic spirits into your life, then you may have one in your life and you don't even know it. And so... Here we go. It says, number one, that you bring it to the house of the Lord. That's the church. All right. Do I support televangelists? Yes. I have a couple favorite ones and I send them an offering every month because I believe in what they're doing. And God blesses me for giving those offerings. But God shuts windows and doors in my life when I bring the tithe to the church. All right. Number one, it, you, it says this, that we're to bring it, not give it. Do you know why you bring it? Because he said it's his. You can't give, I can't give you something that's not, that's not mine. If, 
if I want to give you a vehicle, I can't give you Wade's. That's his truck. I can't give my tithe because the tithe is not mine. It says it's his. It belongs to me, God said. So when you give, don't pat yourself on the back saying, you know, and I'm giving the Lord this. No, you're bringing the Lord back his. It belongs to him. There's only two things in the Bible that says you can do with the tithe. Only two things. One, you can either bring it or you can steal it. The Bible says you can bring the tithe or you can steal the tithe. And it says this. It says return the tithe. It's not... That means you come and you give it back to the Lord. A lot of people, you'd be shocked, come and bring, they feel like, the tithe. And then they say, I want this to go here and I want this to go there. They want to take control of the tithe. No, if you're returning it, you don't get control of it. You bring it and give it back. It's like this. Uh, I heard a preacher say this. One of my favorite, Robert Morris, came up and said this. He said, not to me, but preached it. And said, he said, you know, if I loan you my truck... For a few days, and then you come back to me with my truck keys and say, Hey, me and my wife have been praying about it, and we just want to give you this vehicle. You're not giving me a vehicle. You're returning the vehicle back to me. And so you, you, you don't get to direct it. You don't get to tell me what to do with mine. You can bring it back and return it, but you can't tell me where I can go, and it, it's mine. All right? So the first thing that Adam and Eve took was what was God's. And when they took it, it opened a door that the enemy was able to come in and destroy in their life. Now, they didn't die instantly, but death entered into their life. And we can see that when it comes into their kids. And they passed it down. This way, if you go to Genesis chapter 4, it says this, in the process of time. You say, well, Craig, I'm not tired. I'm doing fine. Give it a little time. Time has a way of processing what the Word of God says is true. It says, in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Now, it's very important how he said that. Does it say the first fruit of the ground? It just says an offering of the fruit. All right. Abel also brought of the firstborn. What is the tithe? First fruit, firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel's all and his offering. But he did not respect Cain. And his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Another reason he could have said, Man, why in the world are you surprised? Why, why, why is it about this catches you off guard and upsets you? He says, All right, so why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? Why are you walking around upset and shocked? All right, if you do well, will it not be accepted? And if you do not do well, it says, sin lies at the door. Okay. See, the enemy wants to be able to come into your life and destroy, steal, kill, and destroy the things that God has wanted to bless you with. But the thing about it is, the Bible says this, that here in the area of the tithe, Abel brought the tithe, and God accepted him, and he blessed him. Cain just gave of, not the first, not the first fruits and not the best. He just gave of. And God said, why are you not surprised, man? You, 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 were, you were taught this. Your parents were taught this in the garden. And when they took what was mine, they received a curse. And now that you're doing it, you're going to... And the Bible said this. It says, sin set at the door. Why? Why did sin set at the door outside this door? And its desire is for you 
and it shall and you shall rule over it. So the desire of the devil is to rule over you. For you to be master under. The desires rule. When we take what belongs to God, it's the lust of the eyes. When we take what belongs to God, it opens a door for the devil or demonic influences in our life to enter into our life and move into areas of ruling over us and our circumstances. And it says, all the tithes of the Lord. Now, I preached this wrong all the way up to about three months ago. And I, I'm just going to confess it to you as a pastor that I have advised people wrongly. And I have repented over this now, studying, getting ready for these series. It's wrong. I have, over the years, people will come to me and be like, Pastor, I really want to start tithing. I just can't afford to. And I'm like, well, man, just start where you can. Now, start giving 1%, 2%. And, man, in this series, I've been under unbelievable conviction for all the people I've led wrong. I've repented for the Lord. And if you've heard me tell you that, I want to repent for you. Because read what this says. Leviticus 27.30. And all, how much? What is the word all consist of? A hundred percent of something. So the tithe is 10%, not 2%, not 1%, not 8%, but all the tithe of the land, whether of seed of the land or of fruit of the land of a tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Greed, the enemy greed says, take what the word, what, um, Take what belongs to God and get what you want to with it. In other words, we see bass boats, we see cars, and we get what we want, what we see we want, and we do it with what God has told us to give back or bring back to Him. All right, so the first area of the door the enemy comes through is greed. Number two area the enemy comes through in this way is unbelief. There are so many people, and I know you've heard it, and this may even be your want to argue whether tithe are relevant to your life or not. I'm telling you, it's as relevant as the demons and the devils having access into your life. It's how relevant tithe is. And so you've probably heard this. Well, tithe is in the Old Testament. It is in the Old Testament. But tithe is also, how many guys have heard, it's not even mentioned in the New Testament. That is how deceptive the devil is. Tithe is mentioned eight times in the New Testament. And one of those times is written in red letters. We'll show you in just a second. Jesus said we should tithe. All right? Because the enemy, wants, if he can get you to believe that it's not relevant, that it's Old Testament, or you, God really doesn't mean it, that's the way God used to be, I want you to know something. That God, you're, the enemy is tricking you and deceiving you into thinking you're not in bondage, but you are. The word tithe is eight times in the New Testament. Did you know the word steal is 11 times? In the New Testament. And three of those times are a repeat. So actually there's only eight times the word. So do you think it's okay to steal? Then why would it be okay not to tithe? Alright. The word adultery is 18 times in the New Testament. Five of those times are repeats. Is it okay to uh, to be an adulteress? No. Then why would it be okay not to tithe? Alright. The virgin birth in the Bible is only mentioned two times. Once in the old, once in the new. Is it okay not to believe that what God said when He came through a virgin birth to believe that that didn't happen? No. It doesn't make any sense. You can believe something twice in the Bible, but you can't believe the process that God is wanting to protect your life over the area of tithes. The principle of the first, Jericho, was the first city when the children of Israel came into the promised land. And God said this, 
Jericho is mine. And all the rest you can have, but Jericho is mine. I want you to, when when you take this city, everything in it, all the gold and all the silver is to be brought to the Lord's treasury. And this is what it says in Joshua 6, 9, it says, But all the silver and gold, the vessels of bronze and iron, are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. But... Look what they did. In Joshua 7, 11, it says, Israel sinned, and they also transgressed my covenant, which I commanded them. For they have taken some of the accursed things. Now, the reason why they were accursed is because it wasn't theirs, and they took it. They took the accursed things. And it says, and they have stolen and deceived. And they also put them among their own stuff. When you take God's tithe and you buy your stuff... Your stuff becomes cursed. And it says, Therefore, the children of Israel could not stand before the enemies, but they turned their backs before their enemies because they had become doomed to destruction. Give it enough time. We're more like God when we give. We're more like Satan when we steal. All right, number three. First, the enemy comes through greed. Number two, he'll try to come through unbelief. But number three, what he tries to come into into our lives is this. He tries to come in through the fear of the future. We're afraid that we're not going to have enough. We're afraid that God won't keep his word. This is what it says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 12, and I'm closing. It says, for I am the Lord and I do not change. Now, did he change? He do not change. So... If the principle of the tithe was in the Old Testament, even before the law, if it was all the way back to the garden, why would it change if God doesn't change? It says, Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob, yet for the days of your father you have gone away from my ordinances. That's an important word. You know what that word means? Ordinary principles. Ordinances are ordinary principles. This is ordinary. This should be... That's why he looked at Cain and said, Man, why in the world are you angry? This is not rocket science. This is normal. That when you don't tithe, your life is cursed. He says, And you have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you said, In what way shall we return? And number eight says, Will a man rob God? Now, you see what just word changed? Up to this point, it was still. Now the word changes to rob. There's a difference when it comes to penalties in law of robbing and stealing. Robbing or stealing is when you go into somebody's possessions in their car or their house and you take something that was not yours. Robbing happens when you do it to somebody's house and they are present. That's the difference between robbing and stealing. If I go to your house when you're not there and I take something out of your house, that's stealing. Theft. But if I go there and you're asleep in your bed and I take it, that's robbing. The penalty is greater. And the thing about it says this. He says, would you rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But I say to you, in what way have we robbed you, God? He says, in your tithes and in your offerings. You are cursed with the curse, for you have robbed me every whole Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes. Not 8%. I apologize to you greatly as a pastor. If I told you, do what you can. It says, bring all the tithes into my storehouse. That there may be food in my house. Let me tell you this. The number one reason people leave churches. is say, well, I just wasn't being fed. I can almost tell you this. I can almost take you back to it. 
when someone leaves church because I wasn't being fed, you can pull up the giving reports. And I don't deal with the giving reports ever unless I'm called and questioned personally about an individual one because I don't like to know what people give. That's not between me. I can't bless you or curse you. That's between you and God. But when someone leaves the church saying I'm not being fed, you can almost take it back to the dollar that you go back and see they quit giving because it's a spiritual principle. When you quit bringing the tithe to the storehouse, the food becomes unedible to you. It's just a matter of time. I'm telling you, it says this. It says there'll be food in my house. So you cricket, I'm not getting anything out of y'all's messages. Start tithing. See if it don't change. I'm just going to be honest with you. It's not on the back. I won't preach any better, but your heart changes. The Bible says where your heart is, your treasure is also. It says, and if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out a, such a blessing that your room, you will not have room. Your, it says windows are bigger than your room. That's such a blessing. It says, but then this. It says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And the, the Bible saying there that said that he will rebuke the devourer. That word devourer comes from the same word. He will walk. It's a different language, but the same root origin. The devil goes around like we're in a seeking whom he may devour. It gives access to the devil into your life. This is, and I'm done, and I'm closing. Jesus, in Matthew 23, 3, said this. Woe to you, scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and a sin and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. This is a New Testament scripture. This is Jesus. So he said, this way he says, it says, you pay tithes, but you neglect these other things. Sounds like he's saying this is more important than that, but that's not what he says. Look what he said. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus is saying you should live this way and tithe. So now it's more than the way you live. It's also about how you give. The fear of the future will make you a thief and cause you to rob what God actually wants to do in your future. In Luke 23, and we'll read these scriptures, we're done. It says, And then Satan entered Judas. Did you see this? Why did it say the devil did? The devil entered Judas, came into Judas. So Christians can't be Possessed, read what it says about Judas. It says, who was numbered among the twelve. He was one of Jesus' disciples. And the devil came into him. You don't like, you don't think the devil comes into people? The Bible says it right here. It says, so he went his way and confirmed the chief priests and captains how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he promised and sought opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of the multitude. He went to the priest, and the priest gave him 30 pieces of silver. They gave him 30 pieces of silver out of the treasury of the house of God. They got into the tithe, and they gave him tithe money to betray Jesus. So tithe money can be connected to your betrayal of Jesus. All right, John 12 says this. And then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany. And he starts telling the story of Lazarus and what was going on. And then it says Mary broke the, the alabaster box and poured out this expensive perfume, starting in verse 4. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, son of Simon, who would betray him, said, Why was this 
fragrant oil, not sold for 300 denarii, which is a year's wage, and given to the poor. And he said, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what he had put in it. None of us in here, I don't believe, would steal out of the box of God. I mean, out of the offering. I, I don't believe anybody would reach into the offering plate and pull money out. But let me ask you this. Is leaving what belongs in the offering plate in your pocket the same thing? If it's not yours. If you have something of mine and you don't give it back to me, is that considered theft? Matthew six twenty six says this. Then one of the twelve, called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and said, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him to you? He's already breaking a deal. He said, What would you give me if I betray Jesus? And they tell him, We will give you 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus. Jump to Matthew twenty six sixteen. Then Judas, his betrayer, says, Seeing that he had been condemned was remorseful and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and elder saying, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. By taking that money that came out of the treasury, taking that money, he said, I have sinned. It was betrayal. It says he threw it at their, their feet. They didn't want it. said, because we can't put it. It says right here in the verse 5, it says, Then he threw the pieces down of silver and temple and departed and went and hanged himself. All right, so what happened to the pigs when demonic spirits were allowed to be in them? All right, they ran themselves into the sea and they were killed. They were drowned. It says, but then the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, it is not lawful to put them into the treasury. They took them out of the treasury, but they couldn't put them back in. Why? It says, because now that was blood money. So they went out and they bought a field. They took, it took, they took the tithe. They betrayed Jesus with the tithe. And it was no longer the tithe anymore. All right, Exodus twenty-one thirty-two. Why was it 30 pieces of silver? Exodus 21, 32 says this. If an ox gorges a male or female servant, he shall give their master 30 shekels of silver. What is the cost of slavery? What is the cost of bondage? 30 pieces of silver. Could it be that the tithe that belongs to God, that we don't give, we keep it to ourselves. Could it be betrayal? And could it be the window that allows bondage to stay in your life, on your business, in your marriage? In your Is it a door that the enemy uses to come in and try to keep you from being free? Indeed, like Jesus talked about. When we leave a door open, you need to understand, we talked about it last week, there's nothing polite, nice, or good intention of a demon or a devil. If you let him in, he's going to damage everything he can. And one of the easiest ways to shut the door of the devil is to say in the area of tithing, what belongs to God, the lust of the eyes. The only reason why people take tithe of God's stuff is through the lust of the eyes because they're either greedy or they don't believe what the word of God says or they're afraid of their future then the enemy has a door into your life to take what you have taken to cause your belief system to shift and change and to be able to destroy the future that you have in the kingdom of God. It's a serious deal. Say, so, Cricket, are you preaching this because you want to? No, I'm going to be honest with you. This church had the best financial year it's ever had. 
I, I say, if there's ever been a time, and you you can add, you don't hear me teaching on this. We're teaching on freedom right now. But the reason why it's got to be taught because if you shut every other door in your life to the devil and you don't become a tither, you have a door open to the devil. And there are dreams, there are businesses, there are goals, there are marriages, there are jobs, there are promotions that the enemy is able to keep you from getting because you are in bondage to what belongs to God. It's 30, your tithe is the price of bondage. Man, it's such freedom when I give what belongs to God back to Him or bring what I give what belongs to God back to Him because it allows me to say, wow, now God, it's all your responsibility. <laughs> it's not my trouble anymore. <laughs> my bills are yours. You're going to supply. My, my family, they're yours. You're going to protect. My things, you're going to take care of because I have brought you back what you've, you've tested me in. And the Bible says you can test God in this. He will keep His end of the bargain. But it shuts the door of the devil in your life. So this is my thing. You say, well, cricket, how do I fix it? Do I go back and pay back all the tithes I've stolen? No, that's not the way it works. You can't make recompense to your sin. It's just like if you went back and paid all the tithes that you have stolen... What would you do about all the lies you have told? How do you fix those? And what about all the bad thoughts? And better? You can't fix sin. Jesus recompense sin. What you do is you repent and you go forward. You repent and you go forward. You don't go back and try to fix the past. Jesus already fixed your past. But you can determine whether or not you're going to shut the door for your future. And you go with what you make the decision on is you say, all right, from this point on. I'm going to test God. I'm going to, he, he wants to test me. God says that I'm wanting to test you, but I'm willing for you to test me. And when you obey God, not only does it bring blessings, like He said, windows are open to pour out blessings, but it shuts the door of the devil in your life. Could it be your life hasn't moved off the level that you've been on? The Bible says there is a spirit of poverty. There are 20 spirits that the Bible mentioned. One was the spirit of poverty. When I realized I got sick and tired of being broke, I started bringing God back what He'd given me to hold. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not broke today. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. I, I, I'm to the point now where I have to fight pride to not get wisdom in my own strength thinking i got enough to handle it because God has blessed me. The truth is this, though. God will bless you too. But more than important, more than the blessing, He'll shut the door of the devil and the demonic plans in your life, which is more important than you. Next week we're going to talk about the lust of the flesh because out of the three, the lust of the flesh is the quickest way to bring destruction and death into your life. So it's a very important one. Then we're going to move into deliverance, all right? Getting free from all this stuff. But I have to make you aware. Because why get free if you're going to walk right back in and let the devil have his access in your life again? It says they kept binding him. He would break free. And they would bind him and he'd break free. God wants you free to stay free, to be free, and be free indeed. There's nothing more freeing than for me to take the little that I have and say, God, this is yours. And God say, thank you. Now I'm going to take care of it all for you too.
that He does. I want to pray real quick. If you're here, I don't want to show of hands. I don't want any of that. I just want you to pray. If you see that this is a door or an area or a way the enemy has opened your life against for demonic influences to come against you, we're going to simply repent. Repent means confess and decide to change. Okay? So it says, Father God, I just ask you to forgive me for opening this door and taking what belongs to you. God, I confess it as sin. And right now, from this point forward, I make the commitment to do differently. I will bring back to you what belongs to you. God, you can test me because I want you to trust me. And God, I'm not doing it to test you, but your word says I can so that you can prove that I can trust you too. So Lord, I thank you for shutting this door. And from this day forward, we go forward, closing the door. I bind you, Satan, and every demon devil that has come into my life through the area of tithing. I cast you out. I shut the window. I lock the door. You no longer have a right to be here in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Hey guys, I love you. It's not all going to be, oh, we're fixing to move into healing, amen? <laughs> but we got to get the door shut before we do, amen? All right, guys, love you and you're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday.